Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Our text tonight for this Monday, Thursday, is from St. Luke and his record of the institution of the Lord's Supper. He writes that Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So far our text. Dear friends, in an article once entitled, One Word Can Make All the Difference, journalist Betty Carlson once described an incident when it did make all the difference. A non-English speaker was picked up and arrested and indicted for a crime and subsequently brought to, to justice in the courts of the state of Pennsylvania. The case seemed, seemed to be a, a sure thing, slam dunk for the prosecution, especially being that the charged man had even confessed to the crime. But single words can make all the difference. Because of a one-word error in the interpretation of his Miranda rights, those constitutionally guaranteed rights, that the words, you have the right to remain silent and so on, be spoken to the arrested and charged. Because of a one-word error in the translation, he was officially acquitted and all of the criminal charges were dropped and he was freed. Obviously, one word can make all the difference. One word can make the guilty not guilty in the court of law. One word can change a couple's future from I do to I don't. A word can make all the difference. In tonight's solemn and sacred institution of the Blessed Supper, the smallest of words indeed makes all the difference. One little word transforms a meal of Passover remembrance and of old into a new meal, a new covenant, a new testament of divine pardon. And it's a little word that, that tells us that, that this is far more than merely a memorial meal by which we do the remembering, but really it's a Christ-rich meal in which you yourself are well remembered by God. And it's, it's a little word that makes the whole thing, rather that takes the whole thing and that, and that makes it yours. One word can make all the difference. Tonight, the first little word then that we consider, the word is. Is. This little word is, it's so ordinary to us, so used in our sentences that we speak. In fact, it's ranked seventh among the most frequently used words in the English language. But what an appearance this little word makes in our text today, and how much, therefore, it matters to you in your life, me and mine. This little word is in our text stands so large because it tells us exactly what the meal is. With this word, we're told by our Lord exactly what the ingredients are in the sacred food. Luke tells us that our Lord, he, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it. A ritual taking and, and breaking and, and partaking that had been done countless times over countless generations at countless Passover Jewish meals. But then Luke tells us Jesus said something that had never, ever been said before. 
At any Jewish Passover anywhere, something that made the old, in fact, new. Luke says Christ took this bread and he broke it and he gave it and he said then, this is my body. This is my body, he said. You see how all important that one little word is, here is? Christ does not say, and note it well, Christ does not say, this bread here is like my body. He doesn't frame it in symbolism saying, this bread here in, in some way represents to you my body. Frankly, his words couldn't be any plainer than they are. He says to us, this bread is, it is my body, this wine is my blood. It's plain and it's clear. It's as uncomplicated as if I were to, to say to you, this is my hand. And so it is. I don't mean it, it represents or symbolizes my hand. It is. And this from which I speak is, is the pulpit. So you, you see how defining the little word is at the heart of our text really is today. It's, it's one word that makes all the difference. It makes all the difference between a rather vacant symbolic presence and the real and actual and sacramental presence of our Lord and all that he is in his human and divine natures. But certainly how slow of heart we can be at times to, to believe it. Our old nature is certainly no help to us here. Our old nature won't let Christ's word is mean is. It tinkers with it. It plays with it. It toys with the plain and the, and the simple meaning of that little word until finally the old nature remakes and reshapes the miracle of, of his words to fit into the confines of our simple minds. And then human reason is crowned king over scripture and Christ's words. And human reason then subjects Christ's words and his intentions to the limits of our own understanding. But truly, friends, is anything impossible for God? Note this well, that taking his word for it and, and, and believing him, that indeed it is as he said it is, his very body and blood, it doesn't mean that we pretend to know how it is what it is. In fact, one of our communion hymns puts it so well and leaves it so well. The words you may recognize to it, search not how this takes place, this wondrous mystery. God can accomplish vastly more than what we think could be. And it's true. So don't let tainted human reason complicate Christ's simple and plain words to you and for you. This is my body, he said. And it is my blood. Because it is what it is. For that reason alone, this meal is indeed a special one. But beyond those miraculous words and, and the reality alone, do you know how else you can tell that this meal is extraordinarily good for us? As we would receive it in faith, here's how you can tell. Think of all of the ways that the unholy trinity, as it's been called, that is the devil and the world and our flesh, think of all of the ways in which they try to dissuade you from receiving it in faith. And they do it in all sorts of way, ways, trying to, to convince you to avoid the meal. 
Sometimes perhaps we avoid the supper because we would feel like Leonardo da Vinci's Judas in his timeless and his priceless painting of the Last Supper. Interestingly, in that painting, Judas, unlike all the other disciples there at the table, whose faces are rather bright, they've been by da Vinci in his painting and his craftsmanship, their faces have been cast in the light. But Judas' face, his alone is in the shadows. Now sometimes we feel like he looks, don't we, in the shadows. So full of guilt perhaps that even our outward countenance would be heavy with gloom. Weighed down with it, we feel like we perhaps don't belong there at the supper. Weighed down with it, we stay away from the supper. We know we've betrayed our Lord. If not for mere silver like Judas, then probably for something worth a lot less than that. We don't feel worthy perhaps, and so we're inclined to stay away until we would feel more worthy. But that, friends, that's not a healthy inclination for us. Indeed, would the soiled stay away from a cleansing bath until he's pure enough to enter and and wash? Of course not. And that's why it's there. That's why it's there. But perhaps at other times we'd stay away from the meal for exactly the opposite reason. Perhaps we'd stay away because we don't feel any urgency to come. Numb, perhaps, to the need. Perhaps we don't feel the weight at all. Perhaps we don't feel so bad about who we are. And so we would wait and, and come to the meal when we would feel a little worse about who we are. But if so, then Luther, Martin Luther, has some wonderful advice for us. He says, then take your arm and he says, grab your flesh and your skin. He says, if it's human, human flesh, then he says, heed the words of the apostle. I know that nothing good dwells within my human, my sinful nature and my flesh. And there, friends, that's reason enough to return to the meal that God has given to us. You see how disinclined we are by nature not to go. You see how, because the unholy trinity tries to dissuade us from it, how important the meal would be for us. And so knowing our disinclinations and our natural tendencies to stop eating, it's no wonder then that our Lord was so lovingly firm with us in giving it to us and saying, this do, this do in remembrance of me. To stop eating, of course, in any sickness, to stop eating is a sure sign that things in health are not what they should be. In fact, like a tender mother concerned about the less than healthy eating habits of of her young ones who would, for all sorts of reasons, avoid the meal that they're served for their good. In fact, like a tender mother, our tender Lord lovingly then exhorts us, don't leave it behind. Don't leave it, but take it and, and eat. And take it and drink. And for your own good, he says, do this. But certainly, friends, certainly, far more than being compelled by any directive to the supper, aren't we drawn to it? 
You see, just as that all-important word, that little word is, tells us what the supper is, another little word tells us for whom the supper is. He said, it's my body and it's my blood and it's given and it's shed for you. The little word, you. Ponder that for a minute. This meal has been called many things. One is panis angelicus. Maybe you've heard the term, it means the bread of angels. It's a beautiful phrase. A celestial phrase. But here's the truth. Angels can only look on it in wonderment. Because this is not theirs. It's yours. Given and shed it is for you. You, it's for you, it's for us, it's for mankind. You see how that one little word, you, makes all the difference here? Because to which of the fallen angels did he ever take bread and break it and take wine and bless it? And did he look them squarely in their sin-shadowed faces as he does in ours and say, This, my body and blood, it's given and it's shed, and it's for you. It's for you and the complete forgiveness of all the wrong that you've done. It's for you who know the guilt, your guilt to be grave, and and you feel the heavy load of it. It's for you whose appetite needs to be revived and refreshed who needs to be reminded how desperately indeed you need this food so that you'll once again crave it as you had and thrive on this food. It's for no other single creature in all of creation but for you. You who belong to this fellowship of the flesh. It's for you. It is indeed a wonderful food, it is. A wonderful medicine. This supper, indeed, since early times, it's been called that very thing, the medicine of immortality. It's a medicine, it's a remedy for the weak and the sick soul. That's what it is. But you know, like the best of medicines, this medicine too can bring health to one in need and at the same time can be taken to one's harm, if not taken according to the prescription. And in Scripture, the good physician is very clear with his prescription. Do you believe in the ingredients discerning therein the body and the blood of our Lord? Do you believe in the saving effect of this food? Do you believe that the body and the blood of Christ were given and shed for none other than you? For you on Calvary's cross and now here are given to you in the supper. If so, it is taken then according to our Lord's prescription. If not, like any other medicine that's not taken according to the prescription, it would not then be be given to its intended good, but then to ill effect. And the physician who gives the medicine is good. He intends it for no harm, but for your good, your highest good. We know what the food is, this meal, this medicine. We know for whom it's been given. There's just one more thing for us tonight to consider, and that's why. Have you thought of it? Why such a meal? 
Why, when we have the cross to gaze upon? Is it not enough to look upon the cross? Here's why. If Christ's suffering and death does not extend beyond the hours of that particular day on which he died, then, as Martin Luther said, it's all done in a single day, and it does you and me no good. That was then, and this is now. The crucifixion of our Lord is a once-in-history historical event never ever to be repeated. We can't go to it. We can't go back to that Judean hillside and witness it and, and like the thief on the cross there, witnessing it all be filled with faith and see all the wonders that occurred and, and say to ourselves like that centurion standing nearby, truly this, this is the Son of God and confess that truly indeed he died for me. We can't transcend the chasm of time and go back and behold Christ there on the cross for us. But he can. And he does. Spanning every limit of time and space, all that God was for you there on, on the cross in his body and blood, all of it he delivers right here to you. In overabundance, really. In his word and his sacrament. And of course that means his holy supper. The forgiveness of the cross. The life of the cross. And its salvation too. In a way that only God can. He transports most intimately to you. His very real and risen body. And his very real and active blood. To his very real people. To help you in, in your very real lives. As day by day, you face very real sins. But because nothing short of his cross, blood, atoning blood will do, that's exactly what he brings to you here today. And for sin's guilt. Because nothing less than the blood of God will do to let you rest at night securely. That's exactly what you here possess in this supper. It's for courage, this supper. For courage in life to stand around those courtyard campfires like Peter. But to stand around those courtyard campfires of life and confess with ringing clarity that you are not ashamed to know him. There as you come to the supper and receive him in his flesh and blood, we're there reminded that he was not ashamed to know us and thereby and therefore took on your flesh and your blood. And when the cock crows in life and you find that life's confession has fallen short, then like Peter before you, indeed like Peter kneeling beside you, you too kneel at the table of your Lord, there to receive once again full pardon and peace. For as theologian Johann Gerhard said, he said, it's here at this table that the holy flesh of God, which the angelic host adore, and before which the archangels bow in reverence, and before which the principalities and powers of heaven tremble and stand in awe, there it becomes 
the spiritual nourishment and the pardoning strength of your soul and your body. My friends, on the night he was betrayed, he left for us a supper. Its greatness is known in the smallest words. It is his body. It is his blood. And behold, it is here for you. A blessed Monday Thursday to you. In the name of our Lord. Amen.